welcome to the Good Good Experience Podcast. Where related minds talk about related topics. And we all just happen to be related. Buckle up, this is going to be a good one. We've got that good good experience podcast. He don't know Welcome, everyone, to the Good Good Experience. Hi, I'm Byron Bino Brown, and that was Jimmy Jam and Tara Lewis featuring Babyface as we segue into our very special installment, paying tribute in our version of a versus, comparing and pairing the productions of LaFace Records, that's L.A. Reed and Babyface, and Flight Time, which is Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Marcus, take it away. And welcome, 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 ladies and gentlemen, to another round of We Got That Good, Good Experience podcast. I am Marcus Moses, and as always, it's great to have my cousin co-host alone. Kimmy, what's going on, baby? Marcus, darling, how are we doing? How's the good, good family today? Oh, yes, we're doing just fine. Of course, we can't do this without my other cousin co-host, Mr. Byron. Be no brown. What's going on, my What's up, Marcus? Hey, Kimmy. It's time for the party to start, right? Let's get this party started, like I always like to say. What's up now? (laughs) (laughs) So, ladies and gentlemen, here we go again for another exciting episode. This episode, we've entitled Flight Time versus Little Faces. So, what we're doing is we're paying homage to the great production duos of Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, as well as Kimmy Babyface Edmonds. Antonio L.A. Reed for the contributions they made to the not R&B and hip-hop culture not, and also to music. So we picked out our favorite songs produced and written by those R&B duos. And we're just going to have fun with it, ladies and gentlemen. But before we do that, we got to get into our Good Good segment. And for this week, our Good Good segment, we have a very special guest. He's an up-and-coming author. He's also a movie producer. He also has his own series on Amazon entitled Concrete Jungle. Ladies and gentlemen, help us welcome to the Good Good, Mr. D'Angelo Young. What's good, good, my man? What's good, man? Thank you for having me on the platform. No, thank you for being here again. You're doing so many things. We're going to get into that in just a minute. But before we do that, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, I'm a, um, I'm a writer, director, um, screenwriter. Based in New York City, I've been in New York City for about you know two years. Um, what I do is um, I actually have a, a TV series on Amazon. I also wrote my first book. That I'm pretty excited about based on my screenplay that I wrote. Okay, all right. Now let's talk about home beginnings. So tell us everybody where you're originally from and how you got to where you are now. Oh, I was um, I'm from Blakely, Georgia. Born and raised. I went to school and I studied film and television, television production. After I graduated, moved to you know Connecticut for like it was like a year. I studied, you know, I worked at ESPN. From there, I came to New York City where I started. I, I just became began freelancing as a, a screenwriter and a filmmaker. So I've been I've been in New York City for like two years. Okay. What made you say, coming from a small town such as Blakely? You don't have a lot of people that like to kind of venture to that realm that you're in now. What made you decide you want to go into television production 
What what made you decide you want to do that? Uh, it's something that I always always wanted to do. Um, it wasn't a thing where somebody you know encouraged me or told me to do it. Um, I started. I was. I did theater in high school. From that point on, I uh, I initially wanted to be an actor, but I found that um, it's hard to be an actor. Because when you're an actor, you have to rely on people to give you roles and give you things. Um, as I got after I got into the entertainment, I did. I realized that. The power comes in writing, so that's when I became when I began writing. Because when you're a writer, you can do whatever you want. You can be the producer, you can be the director, you can be whatever you want. So when I um, I realized that power, then I started writing. When I wrote my first TV series, like I was at first, I was looking for opportunities, and I was like, you know, I'm gonna do my, I'm gonna write my own things. And w- once I started writing, people came to me. You know, people come to me like, oh, so and so told me you did this, so and so told me you did that, and then opportunities started to come to me. So. Now you talk about writing your first TV, TV series. It's, it's entitled Concrete Jungle. Tell us when you came up with the idea uh, of that TV series. I came up with the idea because when I moved here, you know, I, um, I met a lot of independent artists that was looking for opportunities. I met, a, I know a lot of uh, singers. I met a lot of dancers and things like that. Um, so I began writing to kind of tell our story about, you know, what it's like, you know, when you're young and just trying to make it. You know, you have no money and no support. And you have you have a dream that you want to you really want you really want to achieve that nobody believes in. So I was like, you know what, I got this idea, and I'm gonna do my I'm gonna do my own thing. I initially, um, it was initially supposed to be one series, but then I mean, I mean one episode, but then the pandemic happened, so I had a lot of time to sit down and kind of just think and, and write. So so one thing led to another. Um, something that was supposed to be something small turned into a whole uh, uh, season, and then. Um, so after that, like I, I sent it to Amazon. I didn't think it would get picked up or whatever. But um, six months later, they contacted me, you know, told me they like it and they want to put it on the platform. You know, the rest is history. So I've been blessed to have that opportunity. A lot of doors opened up. A lot of doors opened up for me um, because of that, because, you know, being on the platform. A lot of people, you know, just scroll through and see it and just watch it. And uh, they, they enjoy my show. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. You know, coming from Blakely and be able to live my dream in New York City, you know. Absolutely. Now, I, I saw in your bio where you saved $20,000 to, to produce that show. Now, yeah. during that time, during that time, was there a lot of peanut butter jelly sandwiches that you ate? Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, man. It was a lot of, you know, uh, one slice of pizza. Um, and I worked also, I was, I was working like two jobs at the time. And um, so I saved up a lot. But like the initial like post production was like another ten thousand, so I had to, so so I had to come up with like twenty thousand after that, and I actually got a loan from my business partner too. So that's how we did that. All right, great, great. You decided to spread your wings from the back and venture off into writing. Now you have a new book entitled "Kiss from a Rose." Tell us a little bit about that. Oh, "Kiss from a Rose." Is, so I wrote I wrote my a screenplay. If you know, a screenplay is a screenplay is basically you know a movie script. So I wrote the movie script. And I'm actively trying to get the funding for it. So instead of, you know, letting my script collect dust, I decided to actually expand my story and turn it into an actual novel. So this, the book is basically, growing up, I used to read a lot of Greek mythology and books like that. So I decided it would be cool to kind of add like an urban, you know, urban twist to Greek mythology with poetry and, and the action. And uh, basically, the, the main character is a boxer and also he's a poet. So there's um, the dichotomy between like being a, 
you know, a vicious fighter and, uh, you know, been a sensitive, sensitive poet. So and that's kind of, so I'm trying to push that. So it'll give me an opportunity to get my story out there, hopefully get the movie made in the, in the meantime, you know. Absolutely. Now, like I said, you're working on that. Any other projects that you're currently working on right now? Yeah, I just finished writing uh, another TV pilot. Cause I, uh, I spent so much time working on the book that I finished that and I, I wrote a TV pilot. It's like a 30 minute TV pilot that I'm trying to get, um, get him to go into production, like probably around, um, December or no, November, early, late November. It's basically about, you know, it's a girl who was, she's basically rich, you know, she got kicked out of a house. So she had to find out how to survive on her own that I'm working on right now with a lot of, uh, a different producer. All right, great, great, great. D'Angelo, I was just curious, how long have you lived yes. in New York again? I've been, I've been here uh, two years. Okay, okay. So you came in when all of the changes had already occurred. I was just kind of curious to hear your, your take on how the landscape was changing in regards to the demographic of people that were now living in New York. It's always been a mixing pot, but with the gentrification, Brooklyn and different areas like that, I was just curious to hear your take on how New York has changed for you, but... I don't know if you have been there long enough to see that, but you can you can expand uh, if you want. Yeah, um, I mean, New York City is very diverse. Like, um, I haven't been in that long, so I haven't seen a lot, whole lot of change. But as far as I, as far as, far as I see it, man, it's just it's beautiful to see. Like, there's so much, uh, so much culture and um, different, different, different things to see here. So it's it's always been diverse to me. So I haven't seen anything, any changes. And D'Angelo, as a fellow writer, screenplay writer also, how long did it take for you to actually get that first big break? It, it didn't take it didn't take long. I would say about 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 four months because I mean people are always looking for opportunities, you know. And once you, if you have an opportunity, people will find you. I told one person and another person tell another person. That person tell them they're like, oh you. You got a script? Are you writing? Or you have opportunity? And I'm like, yeah. And then things and momentum kind of builds. I think it just started happening. So I would say about my first five months being in New York City, that's when things started to to happen. Um, as far as like uh, the Concrete Jungle being going on a production and uh, me writing my my uh, my screenplay and things like that. So I'll say about five months. Okay, great. And how long did you work for ESPN? Was that correct? You worked at ESPN? Uh, yeah, I would say about a year and a half I was there. Okay. I'm, also, I'm also want to move into uh, movie narrative writing, narrative, narrative production. So that's when I started a freelance and I started my own a small production company. Um, so that's I was, I was there for about a year and a half. Okay, real good. So ladies and the book is entitled Kiss from a Rose from author, movie producer, D'Angelo Young. I've got my copy on the way. Those how people Thank can uh, pick it up. Thank you. Oh, it's, right now it's it's, on, it's at Barnes and Noble and also Amazon um, Amazon Books. Basically, so go to Amazon, you, you search "Kiss from a Rose" uh, book, and you'll see it. You can purchase it now, hardcover or paperback, and the ebook is coming soon. All right, great, great, great. Thank you so much, D'Angelo Young, our special guest on our Good Good segment this week. Thank no you problem, so much man. for being. Thank you for being on the Good Good. Thank you guys for having having me on the platform. You guys do a great job. Keep up the good work. It's a blessing to be on. All right, thank you so much. I have a good one. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's get right into it. Hey, Kim, what are we starting first? Well, let's start it off with some D 
get this party started. But, um, <laughs> for the bar's favorite phrases, my team. is by Peak, released on October 16, 2001 as the lead single for her second album, Misunderstood. It received positive reviews and became an international success and reached the top 10 in many countries. Now, even though this song was composed by former four non-blonde frontwoman Linda Perry, she released her album on the Atlanta-based label founded by Antonio L.A. Reed and Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, LaFace records yes however go ahead go ahead go talk about it. well i was gonna say she did debut on the face and she came out as more of an rb artist that was mm-hmm. the direction that they they pushed her in so when she released the second one this single is a nice little setup because you're thinking okay she's gonna get a little funky but she started to flex her her main wings, her real wings as a rock artist from that point on. And, and that's the reason why it's hard for me to get into paint because I still see her as an R&B artist in that song, There You Go. Remember, There You Go. Mm-hmm. And that's how I saw her. And that's the, that was the direction that I thought she was going to continue to go throughout her career. Now, I'm not mad that she decided to kind of change gears a little bit and whatnot. But to me, just this is just me talking. It was hard for me to get into pink after she changed directions and went to more, to more pop rock. But that's this, my, my take. But that's funny because LaFace and Kenny were feeling the same way. When she went into Misunderstood, she wanted to be more like herself. So apparently when she first started on LaFace Records, they were thinking more of like John B type of mm-hmm. person that they were going to put out there. But she wanted to be more like herself. So that's when she started veering away from that persona that they gave her for her first album. Mm-hmm. And then she just took off. I mean, what part to her pink can sing her butt off. So I, I still like She certainly can. And I think she addresses it on Don't Let Me Get Me. That was the second single that was released from this album. She addresses how L.A. Reid forced her into that genre that wasn't really her but mm-hmm. um you know they wanted her to go that route and have this pretty image as like like britney spears or something like that but she already had a natural edge about herself so she always had an edge so it made sense to me it, it wasn't really too big of a shock I, I didn't see her as a culture vulture or anything like that i knew by her being on the face that it made sense for her to come out as a r&b type of artist and it's just called a segue, growth it's yeah. called growth and she exactly and honestly it was to her benefit i think Mm -hmm. don't you think opened her fan base i mean it did 
she was going to already have a huge fan base as a white female artist anyway, I think. But she invited an additional fan base within the Black community by coming out the way she did and then segueing into the indie rock forum. I'll keep all of the comments to myself. <laughs> no, go ahead. No, this is this is no, where we do it. This, go this ahead. is why we have to this, say what you want ahead. to say. Uh, I, I, I mean, I know Byron said you don't think she was a culture virtue, but I personally do. I think she like I don't think she was forced, uh, quote unquote, forced per se, uh, to 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 um to go the R and B route. I think she saw an opportunity to get on. She did what she had to do, but I guess the more she got into it, she decided like, hey, I want to do this. So to me, it's just like one of those classic, you know, classic cases. Well, I, I'll just keep it at that. I'll just keep it at that. I honestly feel that this is LaFace's idea. Mm-hmm. She got a record deal and LaFace was like, let's put her in there as this, I don't want to say that that word, but this more blue, of a- Blue-eyed soul. Exactly. Blue-eyed yeah. soul, like the John B's. And that was, I think that was the record label's idea to do that. And that's why on her second album, she decided to be more like herself. But do you know what? Ooh, two artists need to do that. Two artists need to go to the left of what they debuted as. I think that shows their, like you said, the depth of their artistry. They can still touch on what they had before, but I think it's always a good idea to move in a different direction on your second outing. Not too, too far from it, but depending on the level of success that they experienced before, but I, I have no problem with it. But I like Pink, so I, I didn't have an issue with her at, at all. I, I don't have a problem with it. I just think, this is, this is me personally, you know, as a music fan, you know, I just think maybe she may, she may have flourished better to me as an R&B artist, but, you know, we'll never know. I mean, that's, that's just my opinion. You know, I, I just... Me just wanting more R and B from her. Oh, you just you know, okay, and, got it. Yeah, got it. I think we all. I don't wanted think more she should have been more successful. However, you just want to hear some more R and B from her. I, I did. got it. I, I, really I got did. it. I think she had more. I think she had more to give, and we, we didn't really get that. But it's that's neither here nor there. But you know so. what? In the video treatments, she still made sure it had an urban appeal to it. So like for instance, get the party started, that video, her sidekick, another sister, they were clubbing and they were doing, I mean, she still kind of had that that edge about her as far as her not abandoning that demographic, I think. Then, that was the second then. album. Now. Then, yeah. yeah. Oh, now. she's yeah. flying through the sky, doing all the <laughs> circus Soleil. Strictly and- pop. Or, or indie rock or however you want to call it. But I like it because... Paint dancing or whatever you want to call it. Exactly. Paint dancing. Is paint, that paint dancing. Oh, paint dancing. Okay. Yeah. You know the video where I don't know what they were dancing at paint or calling for chalk and she's been thrown on the mattress and all over the place and they were just lyrical doing all this lyrical <laughs> stuff. Like, come on now. After the, you know, the first time is good, but when you do it over and over again, you're like, okay, can we like get off this merry-go-round and try something? Yeah. (laughs) So what's next, Kim? All right. I have another one that we may not have actually discussed before, but this group was actually on the face records too. Listen. Bang. The corner in my Cadillac, my heart does not go pity pat for no rap. I'm leaning back, my elbows out the window. Kogram and Endo fills my body. Where's the party? We roll deep, we dip to underground. Sees a lot of hoes around. I spit my game while waiting countdown. I'm five, four, one, three, two. Here comes the one. A new year has begun. Be funk, spark another one. one.
Did you know that Outcast yes. was on the face records? Yes, because Pebbles was yes. responsible for signing them. So yes. Yes. And I was good I was way too. Part I think Goody Mob as well, right? Goody Mob. Yes, they were. They were. They were. I was waiting so, for part two. I didn't want to I didn't, yeah. That's why I didn't put them on here. Oh, you're gonna put them on part two? Uh-uh. Not outcast. They need to be on. So let's let's do one. Let's do one clarification. So, so my approach to this whole thing were produced tracks by the face, not necessarily stuff from album standpoint. So I'm curious to find out. I have not done a deep dive into the catalog of Outcast or Goody Mob to see what was produced by the face themselves. But I know they're on the La face label. Exactly. So, so I'm, so I'm curious to see if they actually did anything with Babyface and La Reed. So pretty much my thought was who produced, who was on their record label, because they are still getting paid. They sure are. <laughs> By Outcast and Pink. Uh, yeah, and I'm curious to hear what type of contract they have, because you know what the, the troubles TLC found themselves in. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if any other artists, because it seems like a lot of artists from the face always found themselves having some type of issue. Financial Financially. Issue. I don't know. Even mm-hmm. Babyface, not to segue, not to go too far off the course, but even Babyface had to do something to, I guess, separate himself from anything that LA was part of that's coming denominator. Because mm. Babyface, uh-huh. Babyface uh-huh. is on there as a artist as well, and he had to kind of go sideways a little bit as as well. So before we go off way yes. into that conversation, we won't, yeah. I don't want to mess up the name of this album. Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music. Cadillac. <laughs> Cadillac. Southern Playlistic Cadillac Music. Yeah. Okay. Southern Playlistic <laughs> Cadillac Music. Thank you. Cause I'm like, huh? <laughs> That's the way the they you just ran everything together. So you just I know, split it up. Like, just, yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Reading is fundamental. Yeah. Um, well, that is the yeah. debut album of American hip hop duo Outcast, released April 26, 1994, by LaFace Records. After receiving a $15,000 advance from LaFace in 1993, Outcast started recording the album at the dungeon. LaFace released the album on April 26, 1994, and it peaked at number 20 on the U.S. Billboard 200. And the album ultimately spent 26 weeks on the charts and also reached number three on the Billboard Top R&B Albums and remaining on that chart for 50 weeks. I had the pleasure of meeting them. They came to my university, Southern University, for our homecoming that year. Mm. TLC, um, 69 Boys, Outkast. I think that was the same show Aaliyah was there for as well. Really? Yeah. So it was. Yeah, it it, it was off, off the chain. But one thing I can recall from that whole experience, the sound people kept messing up the sound, and Outkast really got with them from the stage. (laughs) Really started like (laughs) they they got them. (laughs) Got them together. Got them together. All the way together. But it's yeah, it was just interesting now seeing where they are now and where they started. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll, 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 say, I'll say this and I'll leave it alone. Outcast, greatest hip hop duo in, in hip hop history. Point one of the great. If you say so, Kim. Uh, He's one of no, we're gonna, Eric B. and Rakim. What the, what the Eric B. and Rakim? One of the greatest. Of the greatest. I mean, no. I, that's to say that I don't <laughs> love these uh, outcasts, but they're one of the greatest. There's some greatest out there. They but are I, the greatest. 
And I see where you're going with this, Marcus. So go ahead, go ahead. I see where you're going. I'm not going anywhere. I'm just making a statement because that's what it is. (laughs) My word is law. They they have a huge catalog and they're very eclectic, especially after that. The Love Below and Speaker Box. That was Love Below was and Speaker Box was one of the greatest albums. They they it was so out of the box. It was a masterpiece. Really, it was. Are they the the greatest? I don't want to say that because there's so many out there that have just as good a catalog. So I don't want to say that, but they're one of the greatest. So I'll I'll say this for those who are from that realm, like from Georgia and the Southern realm. Yeah. To them it is. Yeah. Yeah. But those who are outside of that see otherwise. How about that? Are you sure sure about that? Are are you sure about that that statement? You don't think people in there are people in New York, New Jersey and those areas who don't think the outcast is the greatest there probably are, but I I can probably not bet many. that the majority do not think that, do not share that, because the whole Southern rap thing was not fully embraced by New York. I mean, it's, no, still, it's still really not. I mean, it's taken over. It's it's the whole, it's evolved into that combination of the, the balance music out of New Orleans and all of that stuff that we're hearing now that's completely evolved, but it's still not completely embraced by New York. New York is always going to have that attitude that they are the greatest, and because that's the the home of hip, you know hip hop. Okay, not the Midwest. That 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 that's the number. I'm sorry. Oh my god! Don't get started on that. I almost forgot. <laughs> my stomach hurts. Oh my god! <laughs> okay. Okay. No shade. No shade. Focus. Ooh, that was funny. <laughs> oh, my God. Ooh. Oh, never forget that. Really? Okay, go ahead. All right. Oh. What's next, Kim? <laughs> okay. Woo. okay. All right. So let's continue on with days like this. Sheena Easton. Mm. All right. Sheena Easton falls under the realm just like Olivia Newton-John. Yes, she does. Sheena Easton can sing anything. She can sing anything. And she is another example of an artist that evolved. But she came in from the standpoint, from the pop standpoint, and you saw how she evolved more into the more edgier sound, you know, started with Morning Train. And but at this particular point, this is right when she started really linking up with Prince around this realm because, because she... And it's all connected. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's all connected. So Days Like This is featured on 
her ninth studio album, The Lover and Me, which was released in 1988 on the MCA label. The album had a more urban sound, R&B sound, than her previous recordings. Days Like This was actually the second single to be released behind the title track, which is a huge Huge, huge hit, reaching number two on the Billboard's Hot 100, number five on the Billboard's Hot Black Singles. I'm referring to Lover and Me. I started to feature Lover and Me, but this song, Days Like This, has always been a favorite of mine, and I knew it was like a sleeper hit. It was released. It reached number 35 on the U.S. R&B charts and number 43 in the U.K., but I just felt that this was a nice sound that the face, Babyface at L.A. Reid had adapted to her. It had that signature sound that we were used to hearing from LaFace at that time, but it had a super sophisticated air about it, if that makes any sense. I mean, had you guys heard it before? I had, and that's what that's brings to my, my question. Was she supposed to sound like Karen White? Was she supposed this to sound like Karen? Sound. This that's how, how she sounds. Sound. Yeah. That's how she sounds. And that was the thing about Sheena East and what made her so remarkable because She's from Scotland. She's Scottish. She has a Scottish. When, when she when she speaks, she has well. I don't know if she has that accent anymore because she's Americanized. American now. She lives here. And she's been, been here for a long time. Yeah, she's a citizen. But that was a remarkable thing because with when she sang, especially I remember in the eighties when she was talking, this accent was just so prevalent. But it never came out in the in the music, and that was very unique at that particular time because a lot of the artists that were from the UK, you know, you could hear that accent come across when they were singing. And with her, she adapted to the phraseology of R&B easily. Mm -hmm. I don't know if she was coached. Who knows? I'm going to say it's Sugar Walls. My Sugar Walls. Sugar (laughs) Walls. Look, look. 101. 101. Arms of Orion with her and Prince Ernie. Yep. So Sugar Walls. Strut. No, Strut wasn't written by Prince, I don't think, was it? It sounds like it was a song, but Mm -hmm. I don't think Prince wrote it. But Sugar Walls, Arms of Orion, 101, which is on this album, that was a single that came out after days like this. Those are all Prince pen songs. So, and that's what my songs used to love. And then she just kept continued, continued on R&B right after that. And you got the look. You Scott about got that. the look. Scott about that. Yeah. Yep. yep. Now that one. Yep. Woo. I love that. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what's next, Cam? Um, one of my favorite groups from the pop era in the early late 80s and early 90s, but it's not even my selection, is Human League. Human. Love it. So many nights I long to hold you. So many times I looked and saw your face. can you say good one what can you say (laughs) oh my gosh this song has got to be one of the most played songs back then Mm -hmm. yeah well even now i keep hearing it over and over again but anyway i I won't even go down that path i'll just say this human is a song by english synth pop band 
the Human League. It was released as a lead single from their fifth studio album, Crash, in 1986. And as you listen to the lyrics, the lyrics deals with infidelity, if you're not familiar mm-hmm. with the song. Mm-hmm. This song was written and produced by Jim and Jam and Terry Lewis. Jim and Jam and Terry yep. Lewis. And it's, it topped the charts in, here in the United States. And it became the group's second single to top the Billboard Hot 100 after their 1981 hit. Don't you want me? Don't you want me, baby? Yep, yep. So I've always loved Human League. They have a huge catalog of great music from Mirror Man to Keep Feeling Fascination. Yep. (laughs) Don't get me started. Anyway, (laughs) that was my choice to throw into the ring for Flight Time, Jimmy Jam, Terry Lewis. What did you guys think of that song? You know what I think. I, I love you, man. I, I thought that was a great choice. I think it was a choice, you know, that you know, kind of outside the box. I think more importantly, I had no idea that they were part of Flight Time. Flight Time was so uh, great. I, I love it. That's one of many songs that they did, uh, Jimmy mm-hmm. Jam did for them. See, Absolutely. but that's why I'm glad we did this because a lot of people didn't know that all of these artists were associated with these producers or record labels. But tell me this. Don't you think this has like that signature Jimmy Jam sound, though? Yes, at, it at, does. Because the, yeah. the, the yeah. music sounds like something from Janet's Janet. Albums. Janet mm-hmm. or Alexander yes. O'Neill. Something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think I think one of the episodes, we were talking about something like that, that when they made this song, they will make another song because it sounded just like, um, mm-hmm. I can't remember. It was in one of, one of our episodes. Well, I think we were talking about LaFace. I think we were talking about Babyface Productions because... A lot of the songs, like I think I, I may have brought up Mac Brand, Roses Are Red. That was a signature sound. And then Karen White came out and had like a similar yeah. sound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Great. great choice, Barbara. What's next, oh, Karen? All right. So we talked about this song by the original artist in our last episode. So since we were doing the Face Records this week, I, I said, let's talk it. about. <laughs> I had you. <laughs> <laughs> so we are going to talk about If I Was Your Girlfriend, the cover of Princess Song by TLC. Want to hear it? Here you go. If I was your girlfriend, would you let me dress you? I mean, help you pick out your clothes before we go out. Not that you're helpless, but sometimes, sometimes those are the things. Girlfriend is TLC's cover of Prince's 1987 hit of the same name, featured on TLC's 1994 album Crazy Sexy Cool, the bestest TLC album ever. It was originally set to be for Mary J. Blige's album, but she passed, Total's album, but they passed, and then ended up with TLC. Now, I am, of course, y'all know, 
I'm going to be some cranks. And I do not like anybody else singing his songs. But this cover, I love. They actually did it right. They sure they did. Yeah. They did it right. But I'm, I'm, I'm so mad that they you never heard it on the radio. Like that. Let me ask you, why do you think those two artists turned down an opportunity to cover a Prince song? Do you think it was too much pressure? Or, or what? I would think that. Uh, considering them at that time, it probably was too much for them to handle. I think TLC was the only group that had the edge that could pull it off. Mary J. Blige was still evolving at that time. That was too early for her. Yeah, uh, she was she was deep in that uh, hip hop soul sound and still working through her stuff. So and she if had, it was ninety nine, if it was nineteen ninety four, that's when she was doing my life. So she yes. was on a oh, whole yes. other yes. place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then total, I loved him to death, but no, no. <laughs> Even though I love Total, I did. Yeah. But yeah. TLC, they did it right. And I wish they had played it more because that was actually a very good version. And it made sense for them, too, because they did Get It Up. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Yes, they did. That was an yes, excellent, excellent cover of that song. Another excellent cover of one of Prince's songs, Via the Time. You know what? Now that I think about it, with TLC, they're harmonizing, kind of sounds Prince-like it already <laughs> anyway, you know? Mm-hmm. Um Psychedelic, I would say funkadelic slash print sound that they kind of adopted into their identity. If you think about it, if you think about it, if you take to me, sound like Prince is a, it's almost a combination of chili and T-Boss. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, to me, I mean, if you think about it, go back and listen to some Prince's songs. I mean, who, who could do it better? And oh, that's I- funny that the face actually could hear that. Mm-hmm. And say, you know what would sound good with y'all singing it? Prince the songs. Yeah. You have to be that type of producer. And Marcus, you can ask you this. Now, thinking about Prince and the acts that he had, you can go from the family, Vanity, Six, or whatever. Would you say they all had orgasmic sounds? Like, don't they all sound like when they were harmonizing, sound like somebody having an orgasm? Yes, yes. But that was done on purpose. You know that. But that was done on purpose. You know that's what Prince was on back then. I'm being silly. Yeah. I'm sorry. But, <laughs> I've always wanted to ask you guys that. They always had like something. <laughs> I, I think that was like Kim said, I think that was that was the uh, the goal. Yeah. <laughs> every production to lyrically to kind of like musically give you I, I guess you say orgasm. Mm-hmm. Good one, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that it was. Yeah, absolutely. What's next, Kim? All right. <laughs> so let's talk about Shante and her man. Woo! <laughs> Here we go.
Woo, she sure did. I, she surely did. Now, how many of you all knew that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis produced this? Not really. I, I didn't know. It sounds like something they would produce that. It's very dramatic. It has that all of the background yeah. instrumentation and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, yeah Shantae's Got a Man is the first single from Shantae Moore's third studio album, This Moment is Mine, which was released in 1999. And mm-hmm. it features an interpolation of the 1971 Osmond's number one single, One Bad Apple. Oh. This song became Shantae's first top 10 single on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. It was a huge crossover hit, reaching number 10. And the song earned a Soul Train Music Award nomination for Single of the Year, Female. It was number two on the U.S. R&B Hip Hop Songs chart. Number 34 on the U.S. Dance Club Songs chart. Wasn't really a oh, fan they, of There it. was a dance. Yeah, I wasn't uh, really a fan uh, of it. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't for us, I'll just say that. It was better as the slow contemporary song that it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what, what makes the song unique? is how Shantae refers to herself in, in third person in the title track. I don't think that's ever been done before. Shantae's got a man. Yeah. Well, you know, I, yeah, I don't think it's been, been done, but you know, this is a testament to Jimmy Jam and Tara Lewis because when they partner with an artist, they sit down and pan the songs with the artist. And that's what I love about them. And it's so great that they crafted a song around her persona. I think that's yeah. very unique. So you might be right with that, Marcus. I don't think that had been done before. Yeah. And also, I wanted to ask, now, this song was released in 99. I think her and Kadeem Hardison divorced mm-hmm. in, t- in 2000. Now, do you think that this song was referring to him or to the new guy? Oh, definitely it was referring to him. It was definitely referring yeah, to him. Yeah, they, they were, they were deep think, in. You got to think about it. This was probably written like the year before and in production. And so she was talking about him. And she's still smitten uh, by Kadeem Hardison, not to go down that path. But you, did you all watch R&B Divas? No. When, no, I didn't. Okay, okay. So she was <laughs> well, Hollywood heart R&B Divas. She shared many scenes with him and in so many words mentioned that he was her soulmate. Mm. But anyway. Okay. All right. So what's next, kid? Oh, one of my favorites, one of my picks. I didn't mean to turn you on. Say that again, Marcus. What were you singing? No, he, he was doing the t- um, the time. The, the time, the bird. Oh, the bird, because he can hear it in the music, right? Yeah, 
Exactly. The riffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The exact same. <laughs> but this is Davey Single written by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And who was in the time at that time? Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and it was originally performed by Sherelle in 1984. The song was released as Sherelle's debut single and was her first hit, peaking at number eight on the soul charts and number 79 on the Hot 100. But I cannot mention the song and not mention the 1986 release of Robert Palmer and the same song. Uh-huh. And it was released as the fifth single on Robert Palmer's 1985 album, Riptide. Great album, by the way. uh Uh-huh. And the single hit number two on the Billboard Hot 100. And again, 1986. So, I have to ask you, which one did y'all like better? I always saw the Robert Palmer version as a cover. So, of course, I like the Terrell's version better. Robert hits on all the elements that Sherelle delivered so it was just like a, a cover it was just a man singing it but I love the video the video I love cool. the video love the video I love Robert Palmer he really did a really good job mm-hmm. that song May he but rest in peace why was his number two on the billboard 100 and not hers because he's a white male <laughs> he was a white male and thank you and he and he was and he was already playing to the the pop audience so what can you say robert palmer had been in the game for for a long time already and he had had just experienced huge crossover success with power station the super group that featured former Chic drummer Tony Thompson and the Duran Duran members John Taylor and mm-hmm. Eddie Taylor. But that was a huge album for them. And then he comes with the solo release, which had other covers. Like, but he was always covering. He did the system mm-hmm. way back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, got, got banned early in the morning. He did. So, I mean, it was not unusual for him to do this. And we have to talk about the system at some point within this year because they had some good hits. <laughs> oh, yeah. I agree. Uh, yeah. Even back then, when I used to hear Robert Palmer, I'd be like, I know that damn song. <laughs> but it was like, it, 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 I don't know if I was just younger and just didn't put two and two together because it was like 90, 84, 86. I was probably like 12 or whatever. But then I, when I got older and was like, well, damn, Sherelle's, Sherelle's version was more home for us, for me anyway. When I hear her version, I'm like, oh, that takes me back. When I hear Robin Carver's version, I'll be like, yeah, that was a good song. Yeah. But it doesn't have that same effect as Sherelle's. Speaking of Robert Palmer, did you all know that he and Chaka Khan were romantically linked during that time frame? Get out! Chaka Khan recently mentioned that in an interview. She was trying to do, they were trying to actually do a project together, but the labels would not allow it because of that. But she did show. Wow. She did make an appearance on Steve Winwood's Higher Love, but, mm-hmm. that, that, but they this, weren't this romantically. Is a, right. This, so. But this is all around that same time frame. She was linked to him. I think that might have sounded good, though. Mm-hmm. It might have. I want to hear the project that they did. I mean, apparently they recorded it. The labels refused to put it out. So I would love to hear what they came up with, especially since Robert Palmer's not around anymore. I would love exactly. to hear that. Anyway. <laughs> So what's next, Kim? So I'm going to say this correctly. Exclusivity by Damien Tang. 
Sure do. Yeah, yeah. That was exclusive. How do you pronounce it? <laughs> exclusivity. Uh, uh, ex- Let's say it. Let's break it exclusivity. down. Exclusivity. Exclusivity. Exclusivity by Damien Consistent of Edward Damien Brodus and Deborah Jean heard from the self-titled album Damien Dane. Another thing, how come people don't do self-titled albums anymore? Well, mm-hmm. they do. They do. But it's usually, it usually happens like maybe two or three albums in. It's very rare that people debut with the self-title, but it still happens. It still happens. Mm-hmm. Okay. Good. Janet did it. Uh, the Janet album. She, from my favorite. Alternate yeah, album is self-titled, which just released, by the way. Okay. All right. This song spent two weeks at number one. Also, it peaked at number 42 in the Hot 100, number 44 in the dance charts. Damien Dane was the first artist assigned to the face records. Oh, um, absolutely. And these guys, like I said, I was like not too long ago realized that this is not the same group, I guess it is group, as Dana Dane. I, I thought that for some reason, I thought they were like the same people. Dana, y'all, you I said Dana Dane, saying. you mean Dana Dane? Dana Dane, rapper, exactly. The rapper, that's, that's a rapper. Dana, Dana Dane is a rapper. Right, right. Yeah. Dana Dane is a rapper. But, right. And there's a Dana D. Kane. Dana D. Kane, yeah. And right, Dana right, Dane. Right. I think that, that can be a little bit confusing, but yeah. yeah. But I got Damien Dane, Damien Dane, and Dane. Dana Dane. Damien Dane. Dane. You talking about the, the subject, right? The subject Damien matter, right? Dane right. was okay. the R&B group. Dana Dane right. is a hip-hop it's artist. It's the artist. Right, right. For a while, I got that confused. But I finally got it right you know, by doing the research of this particular song. I just remember the song. Did not know who sang it. I thought, like I said, I thought it was Dana Dane. But it was actually Damien Dane. Again, first artist group assigned to uh, the Face Records and a, a big banger, Exclusivity. Did I say it right, Byron? Yes, correct. Okay. What did you guys think of the song? I, well, go ahead, Cam. I'll let you go first. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those songs that you heard way back in the day. And again, didn't know that this was the first group that they had produced. So cool. I, it's very bittersweet every time I hear the song. I remember when it came out and it was a huge record when it was out, when it was released. And I just remember seeing them on Video Soul, talking to Donna Simpson, and I just felt they had so much great chemistry, you know, so great energy. But it's this very bizarre surrounding this group. Yeah. One of the members, uh, she passed. She was in the car accident in 1994. Oh. And then, like in June of 1994, and I what I recall, the male counterpart brought us. He died of colon cancer two, two years, years to the same, date. On the same, on the same wow. day. Wow! And it was just the most bizarre thing 
to me. And it's something similar happened with Starpoint with, with a couple of the members of the group. Starpoint. Starpoint. Yeah. And Midnight Star and Atlantic Star. Okay. <laughs> well, 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 in regards to members passing away, main <laughs> members passing away. But yeah, I just thought that was quite interesting. Yeah. And it was good to hear the song. And to add insult to injury. Check it out. Edward Brogus died at the age of 27. On the 27th. Oh, did we talk about that? Yep. We did. We did. We did. Age of 27, sure did. And she was 35, mm. I think, when she passed. She was in her yeah. 30s. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I used to love them. Their album is actually very good. You know, and one other thing, Broadus had just released his solo album like a week before he passed away. His yeah. album was mm. 1996. Yeah. 96. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But let me both rest in peace. Uh, we thank them for their contribution to the hip hop culture. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, what's next, Cam? How about an encore by Sherilyn? All right. Going to a show tonight. Not a shimmy, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, needless to say, you like that selection. That was Encore by Cheryl Lynn from her 1983 album Preppy. This song peaked at number 69, the Hot 100. Uh, this was Jimmy Jam Materials' first number one as an RB producer slash writer. Cheryl Lynn's second number one next to what? Got to be real. Wait, what's it? Oh, that's to be real. Okay. Oh, I we didn't even hear the question. <laughs> I'm like, huh? I was saying, I was saying it was it was Sheridan's second number one next to which song? Got to be real. Got to be real. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Again, Jimmy Jam, I think it was a, it was her first number one. Again, great song, great. It kind of puts you in the mindset. We just did the family reunion episode. This is one of those songs too that you got to play to kind of get the party going. You know, things like you don't do think bump, so, Ken? Do the bump. No, I'm like, did we play it? We should have played it. I don't think. No, we no, did. We, we didn't. I was just saying, like, this is one of those songs that you should play. At a family reunion to kind of get things, you know, kind of upstart things, you know. I associate this right. song with summer. I've always me too. Me that, too. Like SOS, SOS band. SOS. Was a baby. You can do it. Take your time. But you know, I find it kind of interesting with this first song by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis that it was a complete departure from what their main exposure with the time and all that. It had a completely different sound and mm-hmm. how they went back to injecting that type of those other elements later on. It's kind of interesting that their very first hit did not feature those elements. To me, maybe you all thought it was similar. I can't hear that influence with I, this. I can't either. No, not at all. Yeah. Encore is yeah. one of those songs that whenever you hear it now, you have to turn your radio up because mm-hmm. there was nothing like this song. And it just, this is one of my favorite songs. Behind, got to be real, but Encore is just one of them songs, especially in the Black community, because I, I don't even think that it was 
Was it ever on the pop charts? Uh, if it did, it probably didn't chart uh, yeah. too high. I think it. I think it did hit the pop charts, but. Um, it, I just see anything on the pop charts. I just saw number sixty-nine hit number sixty-nine on the Hot One Hundred. Okay. okay, but it was on the Hot Dance number six on the Hot Dance Club charts, which he goes somewhat hand hand in hand with what's happening. Sometimes I was just say sometimes to the pop charts. Mm. But what was I gonna say? I was gonna say something about the. But sound. that is no indication of how much this was a hit, because encore is one of them classic songs that you just gotta hear at some point. Yeah, I was going to say, this song sounds timeless. It doesn't sound dated to it me. Is time. It is timeless. Yeah, it, it, is. Timeless. it is. It is. Yep. Yeah. So what's next, Kim? Whatever. Woo-hoo! I'm giving you my love. So do take care. Please be gentle with my heart. Because everything I do is about you, baby. Baby, I don't want to be a choose this song because it was a drastic departure from what was known from Babyface at that point. Whatever is a song by Supergirl Group in Vogue. It was written by Kenneth Babyface Edmonds, Keith Andes, and Giuliano Franco. And it was for the group's third studio album, EB3. All right, that was released in 1997. So the production actually was helmed by Edmonds as well as Franco. All right. And it was a major departure from what we were used to hearing from In Vogue. Seeing from In Vogue, if you saw the video, it's very dark, right? You, If you all can recall the video. I remember that, yeah. But it was a funkier sound for Babyface. And this, to me, is like a very unique record that he's produced. I don't. I think it stands out apart from everything else that he's done because everything else you can kind of identify with it being a baby face record but this one stands alone what did you all think i i, I think the reason why it sounded like it sounded because it was, there was a an evolution going on between the group i think they had um two of the members had to move on and they replaced their just one mm-hmm. yeah just one just one of the members don okay mm-hmm. yeah don't have, she don't recorded have, she she recorded the song they just took her vocals off Mm. Okay, okay. Even still, it was different from what we've, we've been used to. And to truth be told, this is just my personal opinion. I, I've never really liked Invoke after that when they replaced the two original members. It just, that's just how I felt. Now, even though. Um, it was the never three, the same three, after that. It, it really wasn't. And uh, like I said, I mean, even though three of the members were still on this original track, you kind of tell that there was something missing. Yeah. Growing. Yeah, something missing. Yeah. And it just. You know, it's a great track. Don't get me wrong, but it's just—it's uh, missing just, something. It's missing something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. I it always, doesn't sound like in the old and Vogue. It's right. like they're trying right. to be the old and Vogue, but those harmonies—four-part we got to have it. Yeah, was yeah. what yeah. made them different from any other group. And this is a good song. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. Like Marcus yeah. said, 
but it's not that same quality. Yeah. And, you know, and it was critically received. It did okay on the charts, but ultimately, let's see, for the United States, it was certified gold, but for the United States, to see it hit number five on the dance club charts, number six under single sales, number eight in the R&B songs chart, number six in rhythmic, 17 top 40, hot 100, number 16. So it did fairly well, but you could tell then it was going to be like a shift in their popularity because it was a departure, not only for the group's appearance in a sense, but the video itself, like the lead in video for this was like a horror movie inspired music video, which was a complete departure from what the fans were used to. They they were used to the glamour side of things. So it had like a thriller-esque type of air about it. Matthew Ralston directed that video. So, you know, he's done all kinds of interesting I'll just say the least interesting videos, Nine Inch Nails and all that type of stuff. So it had that kind of appearance. And so that probably shocked a lot of fans to chill them a little bit, I think, towards this project. But it was a great album. EV3 was still a great album. You could still hear Don's vocals on some of those tracks. I just found myself visualizing Mm -hmm. how it would be if all four of them were there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I like to say, I think the name in Vogue 7 is what kind of carried this song and maybe other songs that from that album, just mm-hmm. the, the name in Vogue itself, you know, because we're still kind of riding the high of all four members. And mm-hmm. like you said, Byron, I mean, the fourth member still had vocals on some of these songs on the track. So, and like I said, like I said before, you know, I never really liked in Vogue after they lost those two members. They never really were the same. I just wish they were able to, with any group that breaks up, that they were able to look past their differences from what I understand. It was Don. It's Don. It was Don. It was Don. They they, they had two two separate instances where they come back together and you're like, oh my gosh, all four of them together. And then it will fall apart because Don, quite frankly, I mean, I love Don, but I think I know, she can sing her butt off. She can sing her butt off. She's very intelligent and she- But some people can't work well well with others. Well, no, I don't think it's her not being able to work well with others. I think it's more of the contractual thing. She's very, after that experience, Mm. she's burned from that and she's very skeptical when it comes to contracts. So she can't get on the same page with other, like she was, they had a contract on the table to do another album as, you know, original four, I think in 2008 timeframe or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that fell apart because she ended up walking away from that because she couldn't really agree with some of those terms. And of course, she's still trying to get her, her solo stuff really pushed out there, you know, the way that she feels it. So that's always going to be a sour thing with her as well. And plus but- from what I understand, I think two one or two other girls was dating the producer at that time so it the contract was more geared to benefit her more than the rest of the girls oh i i don't i i will say allegedly on that i don't know if it was really that's what i heard yeah yeah i don't know if it was geared to that i i just i do know terry was involved with one of with one of the producers but that's i guess that's up to speculation and up to whatever standpoint that they experience from their involvement i don't know but i'll just say this they need to come back together i, I love <laughs> I, I still love involved yeah. uh rona bennett i think is great in the group i know we're used to the four-part harmony but i would i would love to have them all all five of them because i think that mm-hmm. the whole chemistry is there and that will be a unique a very unique experience to have all of them just come back together and just do a full project 
Yeah. But who knows? You know, Maxine's doing Strange. her own thing now. So yeah. Stranger things have happened. So yeah. 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 Love it though. That was my selection. And, <laughs> and I think it's I will stand by. I love it. <laughs> All right. What's next, Karen? So next up is some Heather Headley. I wish Woo! I wasn't. Mm-hmm. I wish that you Change. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Heather Headley's I Wish I Wasn't was taken from her debut album, This Is Who I Am, which was released in 2002 on RCA Records. This album was certified gold by the Recording Industry Association in June of 2003. And I Wish I Wasn't was the second single behind the lead single, which was He Is, which is another banger, by the way. But this song was produced and co-written between Headley and Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. And it has a classic R&B sound. It takes us back to a, a time frame, like a more 70s soul feel, mm-hmm. which fit the project all together. What did you guys think? Didn't know that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis produced this one mm-hmm. but yeah. i knew this song uh, yeah <laughs> i i wanted more from heather headley i haven't heard anything from her since this song since this project but i always thought she had a a great voice to me it seemed like she was a great writer as well and i just no pun intended. I just wish we had more material. <laughs> well, she was. She's been consistent. You know, no, she's been releasing music. So she from from Broadway for starters, right? She she won that Tony Award. Mm-hmm. Um, so that jet started her her singing career, and she did. She had a follow up her sophomore album. The lead single was "In My Mind." You all remember that song, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? But then she went gospel. In my mind, yeah. Then she went yeah. gospel, so she's she's been around that realm, but she's been going back and forth between the genres. But usually, when people do a departure and they go to gospel, if you're not really into gospel, you're not gonna you're gonna assume that they're not doing anything or singing anymore. Right, right. She was yeah. acting too more. Uh, she's on a show right now, guys. I just saw. I'm trying to remember the name of the show. Sweet Magnolias. She's on that Netflix. Ah, she's the, showing us the Netflix show, Sweet <laughs> Magnolias. And in 2021, she starred as gospel legend Clara Ward in Respect. She was in the movie Respect. She's showing us. Okay. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right. Nice choice, Byron. What's next, Kim? We cannot have a flight time versus the face without our girl. Jan Jackson, funny how time flies. <laughs> but time never ends. 
Situations like we talked about before that it peaked at number 59 the UK singles, number 24 on the Irish singles. This was the one of the flyest, one of the best Janet Jackson slow songs ever, mm-hmm. but it didn't chart. RB ra- <laughs> hey, look, RB radio. Wow, we played the hell out of this song. Hell yeah. Out of this song. Yeah. yeah, they did, they did, but like I said, it didn't chart. But however, again, the song speaks for itself, man. I mean, I tell you. Janet kind of got in her little her sexy mode towards the end mm-hmm. of the song. Speaking French. Speaking French. Which says a lot about her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Off the top. So I I just absolutely love this song. And needs to say you guys do too. <laughs> Marcus, what you talking about? <laughs> what you talking about? So this was the perfect way to end an album. Wasn't it the last song on the album, I think? I believe it I was. Think so. Yeah, I mean, it was the next last song. One, the last song, the next song. I can't remember. Yeah, it leaves you longing with that. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Ooh, love me some Janet. No, Janet can do no wrong. I'm How? sorry. And, you know, and it's it's funny, Marcus, when we were putting our list together, of course, you know, I had another song that was kind of along the lines, the same veins of this from Rhythm Nation. And I said, you know what? Let's let this one stand alone. Because mm. this, mm. this was like the coup de grace. This was like the, whew, what other word can we stamp? Janet was here to stay with this song to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She was. And, and it... It, it just so for me it just um, makes me speechless. I mean, because it's just a, such a beautiful, Ooh. sensual song. Um, I, it, there you go. <laughs> you stop. <laughs> the visuals, but, um, that, you know. I I know, but one of the songs that kind of puts me when you play this, you might you might want to play this next song with it is "Let's Wait a While." Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That was good too. And then someday is tonight. 
<laughs> that's just whole. It's the whole thing. All of it. Yes. Play all of it. <laughs> and don't and don't forget, come back to me. Come back, come to, back me. to me. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Then yeah. I get lonely, and we can just keep. I going. get yeah. so lonely. Goodness. <laughs> oh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. So got, by the way. Exactly. I mean, we could not do this episode without talking about Janet. <laughs> We weren't going to play Janet all day, but we're going to play at least one. It was so hard, so we had to limit the Janet experience, but, you know, you get the picture that she is already above the the rest. Marcus, great selection. Very great selection. Appreciate it. What's next, Kim? Well, since we played Funny How Time Flies with Janet, I'm going to play Making Love in the Rain with Janet's actually somewhere in there, too. Tell me if you hear it. In the Rain is the third single by Herb Albert from his Keep Your Eye on Me album, written and produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. It features lead vocals by Lisa Key, but backup vocals is our girl Janet Jackson, if you can hear it. Yeah. And it also features the reoccurrence of um, Herb Albert playing muted trumpet since he normally plays without one. Making Love in the Rain was a big success in the U.S. Hot R&B hip-hop singles tracks charts and reaching number seven. In 1987, U.S. Billboard Adult Contemporary Chart, the song peaked at number 21, and the song moderately did moderately well on Billboard Hot 100 at number 35. But honey, they used to say that that's Janet Jackson, that's Janet Jackson. I was like, they don't sound like Janet, but when you hit, listen to the backup, that is Janet. I always knew it was Janet. I mean, I always I was like, oh, Janet Jackson's on another song. What else is she going to sing? <laughs> <laughs> but I loved it. You know, and it had this sound. You knew it was a Jimmy Jam record because of mm-hmm. the, the keys and stuff you automatically do. But they produced on this album, I think they had like three tracks. On, on this album, Diamonds, they had Keep Oh, Diamonds. On me. You remember? Yeah. That one? And that was Janet, yeah. too. No, well, Diamonds was Janet, yeah. Di- mm-hmm. Yeah, Jan- Janet Diamonds sang. Was Janet. Yeah, she sang that one. But Keep Your Eye on Me, that's another banger. Instrumental track, you know, just, just with the background vocal singing. But Jimmy Jam produced that one. And that, when that came out, at first I thought it was something Madhouse would do. You remember Prince's band, Madhouse? Mm-hmm. It kind of sounded like that because Madhouse had their first project around the same time, I think, as well, or maybe a year later. But uh, Keep Your Eye on Me was another banger from this release. This is a solid album. If you haven't heard it, 
check it out. Yeah. What's next? So next up is Boys to Men. Oh, no. New edition singing Boys to Men. Here you go. It's up to us to figure out what life is all about. Jimmy Jamatero's <laughs> produced it. That's why. Yeah. Yep. That's why. And plus, they had they had turned from boys to men. Those their voices and bringing Johnny Gill on there. That's what did it. Yeah. That was that one part. Of the best albums. And 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 when, when asked about that, that was Jimmy Jam's response. He wanted to put Johnny Gill pretty much put Johnny Gill on display, kind of display his his actual vocals. I think up until this point, he was pretty much you know he had a few parts in certain songs. They really wanted to kind of like put him out there. And this was the song that did it. Uh, this is from the any, 1988 Any Heartbreak um, album. Never released as a single. Uh, got a lot of airplay. But uh, if um, Can You Stand the Rain is my favorite new edition of song by far. Mine too. By far, this, this is my second favorite. Uh, exactly. This one just gets you in the heart feels, man. <laughs> it does. It, yeah. it, 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 it does. And it left a lasting impression as a final song on the album. This, I think, left the impression that New Edition had grown up. Mm-hmm. Thankfully mm-hmm. for Johnny Gill's voice, because his voice was very mature for that time, for, for its age at that time. And it took New Edition out of that bubblegum realm. Because, you know, before mm-hmm. this album, they were still kind of bubblegumish to me. Yeah, yeah. Still an important group, but you know they weren't mature like. Yeah, yeah, and there were four four guys out of uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, who, who loved the songs as well. So much to they named their group uh, Boys to Men, and they and there you go, ladies and gentlemen. I mean, voila. Well, actually, one of the members of New Edition became their producer and manager, manager. and named them right, Boys right. to Men after the song. Mike. Michael Bibbins. Oh, so Michael Bibbins had he's the one that named him. I thought they were already boys and men when they when they went to Michael Bibbins. According to the movie, they called themselves boys and men after their song, but it might we we have to talk to Michael because he might have gave it to him. I don't know. Let's let's (laughs) let's put that on our calendar to get Michael. We're gonna talk to Michael about. We're gonna talk to Michael this week in the in the atmosphere. But I, yeah, yeah, this lasting impression, that's all I can say. It left a very impressive lasting impression that New Edition was here to stay because their sound had matured. And they are still here to stay. I need to see them in concert. They, they absolutely, absolutely. What's next, Kim? One of my favorite bands, I used to have this album and play them all the time from the beginning to end, the SOS band. Me Tell too. me <laughs> if you still care. Yeah.
to my heart. <laughs> Do you feel Man. the same way too? Yeah, classic harmonizing, song. classic flight uh, time style harmonizing there. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me if you still care. It's song by the SOS band. It is the opening track on the group's fourth studio album, On the Rise, and was issued as the album's second single. Written and produced by Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis, the song peaked at number five on the Billboard Hot Soul Songs in 1983. Mm-hmm. This is one of the classics that, I mean, another one, when it comes on, you just turn it all the way up and you be driving and forgot where you're driving because you're so busy singing the song. <laughs> yes, <laughs> Forgot indeed. where you're going. <laughs> dreamy, dreamy, dreamy song. But people, you know, when they think about the video, people on that big blimp, Jump, you know. You remember in these videos, I man. Do. I, 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 I used to be like this. Look, I was like this watching videos, soaking in every detail. And I remember it was like they're the big blimp, and they were on like in the club that was on the bottom part or whatever. And then at the end, they're jumping out, and I don't know, they're having a, a magical time anyway. Go ahead, Marcus. Yeah. No, I, I was just gonna say, you, you know, we talked about I think how these producers are able to. to to meet the artists where they are. And it's just amazing how some songs sound like other songs, sound like similar to other artists' songs. But this one didn't sound like any other, the like any other Jimmy Jam or Terry Lewis song that, that they, they produced. This this one's kind of like stood alone. You know, at that me. time, yep. I agree. And at that time, and then you started hearing this element, the element, the, 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 the drop yeah. sound. And all mm-hmm. of their other like ballads and stuff that they started doing after that. But did you guys know that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis was the primary producers for this this group from their beginning on? No, I didn't know that they produced the SOS band. I did not. Yeah. yeah. That's their band that they produced from the start. I, I thought the band stood alone, but no. Uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis is always their producers. Also, I don't think we've, ever, we've mentioned yet that we talked about the, term, the name Flight Time. Now, Flight Time comes from an actual group in which uh, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were a part of. They started in Minneapolis called Flight Time mm-hmm. uh, group. And, and um, so I just want to make sure that we, we put that out there. And the what happened when they left? What what did the name turn to when they left Flight Time? That time. That time. Yep, they became the time. Absolutely. But so weren't they still is- in the group when they were the time, though? Huh? Weren't they still in the group when they turned into the time? Well, from from the story, it states that uh, the groups when they when they left Flight Time because I don't think they were officially the time when they were a part of the group. I think they were Flight Time, and when they left, the name was shortened to the time, and that's b- before they really became popular. I mean, before they before the, a name was made for them. But we can research that further. But okay. from, from my understanding, I thought that name change happened, mm-hmm. which I, I thought was kind of interesting because they left and they took flight. They took the flight away, yeah. so they became time. <laughs> the only reason I say that is because when they performed as the time, Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis were still there. They definitely were. Cause I'm That's what I thought, too. When I was reading up on it, I was like, hmm, So maybe they just changed the name from flight time to the time and then they left later. I don't know. We'll yeah. <laughs> I don't I just know it was very early on in the Times career, so to speak, that Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis left the group. They were fired basically. 
But you know what? That is another topic we could do. All groups associated with Prince. Yeah. Yeah. That would be a great episode. (laughs) Okay, I'm sorry. (laughs) The web would be so wide. Yeah, it would. I know. Yes. A lot of songs. You have to give me like 10 songs back. <laughs> I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, nice so whose song was this? Who's, who's, whose favorite was this? Uh, this is one of mine. Yes. That's okay. us. That was mine. Daku, daku, daku. Mm-hmm. Now the next one is the last song. And we cannot do the face records without doing a Tony Braxton song. And this one was one of my brother John Christopher Hazel's favorite songs, Seven Whole Days. Mine too. Self-titled 1993 album, Tony Braxton. That was Seven Whole Days. Man, oh man. (laughs) (laughs) That that album is probably one of the top 10 R&B albums of all time. Because like like every every song on there was a chop chopper. Except for this, believe it or not. This song was not commercially released, so it was ineligible to chart on the Hot 100. Yes, that's that's according to... It wasn't? It was, I thought. If it had yes, a it music was, video, it had a commercial release. Because I remember seeing the sisters in the video. I, yeah, I, they were, I could be wrong. I could have read it wrong, but I mean, you need to Oh, this was a, yeah. I, probably what he's saying is it was released too late in order to chart. Something to that effect. So it might have been one of those things where in order to be eligible for certain accolades and stuff, you had to be out there by a certain time. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it is, this is what it's saying. It was the third it's single it, release from that album. It topped the hot R&B hip-hop airplay chart five weeks 1994. It said because the single wasn't commercially released in the United States. Peaked. Okay. Okay. But oh, maybe it wasn't commercially on. released. Maybe they're trying to say it wasn't released on the pop charts. Maybe that's what they're trying well, to it say. It says it wasn't commercially released in the United States, which I, I but we it heard like, it. Yeah, so I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't get, I don't get that. I don't but. get, it. I don't get it either. But, 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 was a good song. but <laughs> also remember on Wikipedia, people can actually go in there and put information out there, and it may not be accurate. So because it charted number four, it says forty eight on the Hot One Hundred Airplay. 1994. We're going to have to dig, dig, dig deeper in that because I, I think that's some misinformation right there. Mm. As much as that song got played. Because, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we knew this song. It was an RB. It was on the R. It was number one on the RB charts, adult RB charts in, in 1994. Number one on the US hip hop airplay charts. 
number 23 on the rhythmic. So I don't like statements like that, that these entities like to put out there because it doesn't hit well, hot 100. It's not necessarily considered mm. a success. R&B charts are just as important. So yes, they are. Yes, they, they are. are. Yeah. And we love and, the song. Yeah. <laughs> and we love the song. Definitely love the song. Definitely love Tony Braxton. I mean, there's no denying her impact she made on, on the hip hop and R&B world. I mean, this, like I said, this whole album was a banger. That whole was album a, was a banger. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And so, you know, to say the least, you know, this we love this song. I love the song. That's exactly I love why it too. I put it on my yeah. on, on my list. Great job, yeah, so. great song, Marcus. But we, you knew we couldn't just like Janet couldn't be excluded from we couldn't we could not Tony. 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 Yeah. Now, right. I, my question to you guys: Who won the wild card? I think it's safe to say, <laughs> Janet, Jimmy Jam, Janet. and Terry Lewis. Yeah, won the Jimmy wild Jam. card. Jimmy yeah. Jam, Jimmy yeah. Jam. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. So wait, I didn't know it was a co- rap- competition. Oh, Go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to wrap up this episode of We Got the Good Experience podcast. It was so much fun, guys. Jeff, huh? A blast. Yes, yes, I did. Great music, great selections, everybody. I love talking about music with my family. <laughs> and, and before we get out of here, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be we'll be remorse to say that we lost three people from the, from the music industry as well as the uh, entertainment industry this week. Ann Hesh, Lamont Dozier, and lastly, Olivia Newton-John, star of Greece, uh, also a big, big, big time a pop star, contributed a lot of music to love the culture. Her and one of Byron's favorite people. And I just want to say rest in peace to those that we lost this week. We thank you for your contribution from all of us here at the We Got the Good Good Experience podcast. Yeah. So until next time, take care. Be good and be good good to each other. Peace. Love you, good good things.